the greatest radio shows of all time. Suspense. The Shadow Node. Washington calling David Harding, counter spy. Classic radio theater. The Great Gildersleeve. Fibber McGee and Molly. Dragnet. Gunsmoke. The Lone Ranger. Now step back into our time machine with your host, Wyatt Cox. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We're going back 66 years and heading even farther back to the Old West. Fort Laramie, starring Raymond Burr, an episode that was originally broadcast on Sunday, February 26, 1956. And we thank you for joining us on this Saturday, 26th day of February, 57th day of the year. We have 308 days remaining until we get to 2023. President Lincoln signed the National Currency Act into law on this date in 1863. The first pneumatic subway system opened in uh, in New York City in 1870. An act of Congress established most of the Grand Canyon as a national park in 1919. The Grand Teton National Park created in 1929. Prime Minister Winston Churchill announced on this date in 1952 that his nation had an atomic bomb. The final radio broadcast of Dragnet on this date in 1957 and the launch of the first flight of the Saturn 1B rocket in uh, NASA's Apollo program in 1966. In 1971, Secretary General Uthant signed the United Nations Proclamation of the Vernal Equinox as Earth Day. It was on this date in 1972, President Nixon ended his historic talks with Chao Enlai with his departure from Peking for Shanghai. The primary goal of this trip was to reestablish communication with the People's Republic of China after a generation of hostility. We achieved that goal. President Nixon very proud of his accomplishments of that trip from China. On this date in 1972, the 300-page Tower Commission report on the Iran-Contra affair released on this date in 1987, portraying President Reagan as being misled and remote enough to establish and to allow his staff members to organize and trade arms to Iran for hostages in Lebanon. Congressman at the time, Charles Schumer of New York, told his colleagues the report makes the truth stranger than fiction. This report's got spies, arms smuggling, beautiful secretaries, and international intrigue. All the makings of a great Hollywood movie script. Unfortunately, it's real life, and it's at the White House. Chuck Schumer talking about the Tower Commission report in the Iran-Contra affair back in 1987. On Baghdad Radio on this date in 1991, Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein announced the withdrawal of Iraqi troops from Kuwait, essentially putting an end to the Gulf War. In New York City on this date in 1993, a truck bomb parked below the North Tower of the World Trade Center went off, killing six and ordering, injuring rather, over a thousand. A woman who was in the subway at the time of the explosion described the scene. I was basically scared for my life. Many people were crying. Uh, some people fell. Uh, some people fainted. We were trying to help this lady that uh, was about to faint. We helped her up the stairs. But uh, there were so many people, so many different reactions. But I was basically afraid for my life. Now understand, that was in 1993. The buildings would be destroyed in a subsequent attack 
on September 11, 2001. At the Houston Astrodome on this date in 1995, Selena performed in her last concert before she was killed. And, and it was just a sad, sad situation. And in 2004, the U.S. lifted a ban on travel to Libya, ending travel restrictions to the nation that had lasted for 23 years. Passing away on this date in history, composer Howard Hansen, comedian Bill Hicks, actor David Doyle, and Judge Wapner. Remember him from the People's Court? Born on this date in history, writer Victor Hugo, uh, the man behind the jeans, Levi Strauss. Uh, the original Buffalo Bill, uh, Buffalo Bill Cody, going back way back when. Uh, you remember him in, for, as Fred Merch from I Love Lucy and Bub and My Three Sons, William Frawley, born on this date. Uh, cartoonist Tex Avery, actor Dane Clark, actor Robert Alda, Mason Adams, born on this date. Uh, you remember him uh, from Lou Grant and a lot of radio work. We've got a lot of radio work we've heard from him. Tony Randall, born on this date. Actress Betty Hutton. Game show host Tom Kennedy, whom we lost uh, uh, back in 2020 at the age of 93. Fats Domino, I found my thrill. Singer Johnny Cash, the man in black. And also born on this date, Jackie Gleason. My father left home when I was uh, six or six and a half. And my mother died when I was very young. And so I needed uh, love and approbation and all those other things. And what better way to get them than uh, on the stage where uh, maybe two, three thousand people all laugh at once or applaud at the same time. Uh, that gives you a great feeling. If you see me coming down the street, get on the other side. <laughs> when you come down the street, there ain't no other side. I have a plan that can't miss. One of these days. One of these days. Pow! Right in your kiss. Hum na hum na hum na hum. Lord, Lord, come on down. You're a riot, Alice. You're a regular riot. Hope they like those jokes on the moon, because that's where you're going. I have a big ball. <laughs> Baby, you're the greatest. And I have to say, he was the greatest, Jackie Gleason, born on this date in history. Uh, you remember Lost in Space, the blonde-haired daughter, Marta Kristen? She is 77 today. Also from the Detroit Wheels, Mitch Ryder, 77 as well. Michael Bolton, 69 years old, and Erica Badu is 51. Though some of the people who celebrate the 25th, 26th day of February is their birthday, and if this happens to be your birthday... Hi, we're the four freshmen, and we just want to say... Happy birthday to you! From 66 years ago, February 26, 1956, Raymond Burr starring in an episode of Fort Laramie, The Captain's Widow. I'm Wyatt Cox. Thanks for tuning in on this Saturday edition of Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox on your favorite radio station. Raymond Burr enjoyed doing Fort Laramie. He said the problem was, once he took on the role of Perry Mason, there was no time to record the show. He said, maybe you can put a tape recorder in the car and I could record it there, but th there's no time. So, Raymond Burr gave up the role of Fort Laramie after one season, 
but we do hear some great Western adventure from the fine actor. Raymond Burr, Fort Laramie, from 66 years ago today, February 26, 1956, on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. At the gallop! Fort Laramie, starring Raymond Burr as Captain Lee Quince. Specially transcribed tales of the dark and tragic ground of the wild frontier. The saga of fighting men who rode the rim of empire. And the dramatic story of Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry. Eighty-three men for duty. Hardy and Simmons in the hospital. Five men on leave, Captain. All right, Corporal Mercer. Just leave the morning report on the desk. Yes, sir. One of the three new men has transferred out here from Fort Larn and been assigned a second platoon, sir. Come in. Captain Quince, the supply train's on its way in. Oh, good. Lieutenant Seibert's is sending the train on to the quartermaster depot, but he said he'd be right here. All right, thanks, Jenkins. Supply train in from the railroad at Cheyenne, Captain. All stores is ordered. Anything to report, Mr. Seibert? Cracked hub, two mules lame, one destroyed, otherwise routine, sir. Your command have a good time in Cheyenne? I think they did. I noticed a few skin knuckles. Any complaints from the civilian authorities? No, sir. <laughs> All right, Seibert. Sign out to the quartermaster. Water and turn your stock out in the south range. Dismiss your men. They're relieved from further duty until... What's that buggy doing in your train? Oh, I was going to tell, tell you about that, sir. We uh, had a passenger, a lady. Lady? A Mrs. Wentner. She's the widow of an officer who was stationed here. Oh, that must have been Captain Wentner. Said he was killed by a Cheyenne. Oh, that's right. Three, four years ago, up in Lance Creek. His whole command was wiped out. That was before my time. I don't know what she's doing here. She didn't tell you? No, sir. Handsome woman. <laughs> I take it you enjoyed your trip then, Mr. Seibert? Not bad, sir. May I give you a hand, ma'am? Thank you. Ms. Wintner, I'm Captain Quince. Welcome to Fort Laramie. How do you do, Captain? Are you the post commandant? No, ma'am. That would be Major Daggett. We didn't expect you, Mrs. Wentner. Perhaps your letter was delayed. There was no letter. I told no one I was coming. If we had, we might have arranged a more fitting reception and better transportation. This was quite satisfactory. I rented the horse and buggy in Cheyenne, and the lieutenant furnished me a driver. You were very considerate, Lieutenant Seibertz. Thank you, Mrs. Wentner. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll get back to the train. Of course. Thank you, Lieutenant. Pleasure, ma'am. 
If you'll come with me, Mrs. Wentner, I'll take you in to meet Major Daggett. All right, Captain. Thank you. Uh, take care of the horse and buggy, Jenkins. Yes, sir. Did you know my husband, Captain Quince? Why, yes. Out here? That's right. I don't remember him mentioning you in his letters, but it seems to me there was a Quince in his class at West Point. Oh, I wasn't at the point, Mrs. Wintner. I was commissioned in the field at Shenandoah. <laughs> Up from the ranks. Oh, I see. Uh, here we are. Come in. Oh, Major Daggett, this is Mrs. Wintner. Just came in with a supply train. Oh, this is a pleasure, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Wintner? That's right, Major. I'm Philip Wintner's widow. Oh, yes. Won't you sit down? Thank you. I didn't know your husband myself, Mrs. Wentner, but I've been assured that his death was a great loss to the Army. Even more tragic for yourself, of course. It was a horrible thing. And even worse, a terrible, unnecessary thing. He could have been safe in Washington. I arranged it all with the President himself. I see. I could never understand why Philip refused it, but he was a stubborn man. Well, he was very popular here, I understand. Isn't that right, Captain Quince? He was a good field officer, Mrs. Wintner. Perhaps he... he wouldn't have been happy at some desk in Washington. It might have been better for him to be a little unhappy and alive today, mightn't it, Captain? That's hard to say, ma'am. Well, uh, at any rate, we're happy to have you here, Mrs. Wintner. Sorry we weren't prepared, but I'm sure Mrs. Daggett will be able to arrange things comfortably. You'll stay with my wife and me, of course. Thank you, Major. And perhaps we can use your visit as an excuse to liven things up around here. We've had very few social activities. Might even arrange a reception or something of the sort. Major Daggett, I'm not here for social reasons. Well, what I meant was... Major Daggett, I came to get my husband's body. Mrs. Wintner, your husband's not buried here uh, at the fort. I know that. But you see, I want him recovered and taken back east. I've arranged that he will be buried with full military honors in Arlington Cemetery. But his grave is a hundred miles from here, up on Lance Creek, where he was killed. I've already come 2,000 miles. Another hundred doesn't matter. I don't think you understand. That's Indian territory. Cheyenne and Sioux hunting ground. Treaty territory. Aside from the very real danger, my orders strictly forbid any white person to enter that region, including my own troopers. Perhaps this letter will clear your mind. You will see it signed by the Secretary of War himself. Yes, I see. So, Major Daggett, I shall want to leave for Lance Creek as soon as possible. And you expect me to send you there with a troop escort, of course? The letter says every assistance possible. It also says within the scope of my orders and with due consideration for your safety. I'm not worried about my safety, Major Daggett. But I am. But in a case like this... There are no exceptions mentioned, Mrs. Wentner. What do I care about a treaty with those savages who murdered my husband? The treaty was made, ma'am, to prevent other men from dying the way your husband did. Captain Quince, I'm beginning to understand why these Indian troubles go on and on. I've wondered about that. Wondered why you didn't just wipe them out. I think you're afraid of them. It's not that easy. The Indians are people, too. They have rights. I'm not interested in their rights, Captain Quince. 
And I'm not interested in your orders, Major Daggett. Am I to understand that you refuse to allow me to go to Lance Creek? That's correct. I can't risk your life, nor the lives of my men. And I won't risk a general Indian war. Very well. Captain Quince, would you be good enough to show me to my quarters? Of course, ma'am. Impressive. The parade ground, the drilling. Yes, it is, Miss Wintner. Until you remember that in spite of all the military show, you're still afraid to face the Indians. Have you completed your tour of inspection? Yes. Lieutenant Seibert's has shown me everything, I think. It's all very interesting. Seeing the place that Philip called home. There's one thing I'd like explained, however. What's that, ma'am? What could possibly have held him here? What holds you, Captain Quince? I'm afraid I can't explain it to you, Mrs. Wintner. I'm sure you couldn't. May I escort you to your quarters? Thank you. I've noticed several men dressed in buckskins lounging about the store, the sutlers, you call it. Who are they? Civilian scouts. Charlie Reynolds, Will Granby, Pete Hazen. It was one of them, wasn't it, who found my husband up on Lance Creek? Yes, ma'am. Pete Hazen. He led the burial detail back... I must talk to him sometime. He's under the Major's orders too, ma'am. I meant Captain Quince. He might be able to tell me things about my husband. Things a wife would like to know. Of course, ma'am. You don't like me, do you, Captain? I don't know you well enough to like or dislike you, Mrs. Wintner. But it seems plain to me that you intend to disregard every consideration to get to Lance Creek... If you'll excuse me. Come in. Captain Quince reporting, sir. Oh, Lee. I've just been thinking, uh, Caldwell's due for a leave. Who can we send out to the Clearwater Patrol as replacement? Is Seibert's too green? No, no, he'll do. He's come along fast. All right, good. Major. Major, what about Mrs. Wintner? Well, what about her? I think she's going to make trouble. I don't think she can. I've kept a check of the telegraph office and the mail. I think she's accepting the inevitable. I don't. I think she's determined to go to Lance Creek, one way or another. How can she, if I won't let her? 
I don't know. But I think you'd better warn the civilian scouts, especially Pete Hazen. Oh, he wouldn't be that much of a fool. I wouldn't think so either. But with her, anything can happen. <laughs> I believe that. She's quite a woman. February 26, 1956, Raymond Burr in Fort Laramie on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Thanks for making us a part of your Saturday. We'll have the news from that date 66 years ago. Uh, But first, we have these important words from your favorite station you need to hear. Thank you for tuning in to Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox here on your favorite station. We're listening to an episode of Fort Laramie starring uh, Raymond Burr as it was originally broadcast Sunday, February 26, 1956. In the newspapers of that Sunday 66 years ago, these were some of the headlines. Senate Democrats yesterday sharply challenged Secretary of State John Foster Dulles' claim that the free world is in a stronger position relative to Russia now than it was a year ago. The Democrat Senator from Arkansas, J. William Fulbright, a member of the Foreign Relations Committee in which he questioned Dulles at length, told a reporter his statement that we're better off than we were a year ago with respect to Russia taxes my credibility. I could hardly believe my ears when he said that we have increased our strength in the past six months or so. Senator John Sparkman, the Democrat from Alabama, said he found it hard to believe the Secretary's testimony that Russia is changing its policy because, quoting, it is afraid of us. This foreign relations member argued that the Soviets are meeting the U.S. in armaments and in some cases are moving ahead. President Eisenhower and Secretary of State Dulles expected to dispatch this week a new positive rejection of Soviet Premier Bulganin's persistent proposal for a Russian-American friendship treaty. Diplomatic officials speculated that one way to handle the Bulganin offer would be to make a counterproposal of a treaty acceptable to the U.S., Britain, and France. But they have had trouble finding a formula which would do this within the requirements of American policy. Adlai Stevenson said last night the Republican Party doesn't know what it stands for and can't know until it hears one syllable. He also spoke strongly in favor of eliminating racial barriers. GOP policy awaits President Eisenhower's decision on whether to run again, he asserted. Democrats, on the other hand, Stevenson declared, stood where they have always stood, believing, as did Jefferson, in equal rights for all, special privileges for none. Asserting America is nothing unless it stands for equal treatment for all citizens under the law, Stevenson had said freedom is unfinished business, quoting, until all citizens may vote and live and go to school and work without encountering in their daily life barriers which we reject in our law, our conscience, and our religion. President Eisenhower ended an 11-day Georgia vacation yesterday, perhaps with the big decision about a second term already formed in his mind, but he gave no new hint in returning to the Capitol on whether he had reached a decision, what it might be, or when he will announce it. Most speculation points to next Wednesday if he holds a news conference then. New York City Patrolman John Kennedy has retired after 29 years on the police force. His station every day since 1927 has been under the West Side Highway at Canal Street. In all that time, he's handed out just 12 traffic summonses, saying too many summonses is an indication of poor operations. 
And though some of the day's top news stories is reported in the newspapers of Sunday, February 26, 1956, on your radio, Fort Laramie, starring Raymond Burr. The conclusion next on this Saturday, Classic Radio Theater, on your favorite station. On Sunday's Classic Radio Theater, we get on the train and meet with the mysterious traveler from 78 years ago. I think this is a very early uh, edition of the show because it's from February 27th, 1944, 78 years ago. The good die young. Young Sandra detests her new stepmother and is determined to get rid of her as soon as possible. That's on Sunday's Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. But now the conclusion of our Saturday program, Fort Laramie, starring Raymond Burr from 66 years ago, February 26th, 1956. Oh, by the way, the evening social's all set up for Saturday night. Nettie's sending out the invitations today. Having a small dinner first. Uh, you're supposed to come. Huh? As Mrs. Wentner's escort. Why me? You're an inmate of old Bedlam. You're eligible. There are other bachelor officers living there, cybers. Youngsters. She's more your age. I don't fight it, Lee. Nettie's mind's made up. Only one thing I don't like about your wife, Major. She's a matchmaker. <laughs> yeah, I know. She can't help herself. Hates to see an unmarried officer, especially one as old as you. And after all, Mrs. Wentner is a widow and mighty attractive. You could do worse. Major, some women are army, some aren't. When Phil Wentner came out to Laramie, he came alone. She seems to fit in fine now. Maybe she's changed. Uh, women like that don't change. Just the same you'll escort her Saturday night. You better present your compliments to her tomorrow afternoon. That order, sir? Tomorrow afternoon, Lee. White gloves. <laughs> Captain Quince. Afternoon, Mrs. Daggett. I'd, uh, like to present my compliments to Mrs. Wentner. Why, yes, of course, Captain. Only, well... What is it, Miss Daggett? Well, it's very strange. But last night, Carolyn asked not to be disturbed this morning. Said she wanted to sleep late. But when she didn't come out, even for luncheon, I got worried. So a few minutes ago, I knocked and looked in her room... She's not there, Captain. She didn't sleep in her bed last night. Captain, where are you going? To the settlers, Miss Daggett. You better tell the Major. Lee, what do you make of it? It's very simple, Major. Mrs. Wentner was last seen last night. Pete Hazen left sometime before dawn with two loaded pack mules, two horses, one rig side saddle. He left this at the settlers for you, with a $20 gold piece. Hmm? Guess it's his resignation. Didn't want to get arrested for disobeying orders. Yeah, you're right. They're on their way to Lance Creek. They got at least 11 hours start. They've got to be stopped. Yeah, if they're still alive. How long will it take you to get B Company ready? Too long. Besides, a full company up there will mean war. You think you can get a small detachment through, five or six men? I can try. And if we're caught, we might be able to talk our way out of it. Well, they can't be moving very fast. I'd say I could catch them about halfway. All right, Lee. 
Take the men you want and an extra amount for each. Rations for four days and 200 rounds of ammunition. 50 rounds will be enough, Major. If we have to fight at all, it won't matter how much ammunition we have. I've lost their tracks, Captain. There. There, over there, Gorse. Oh, yeah, that's it. I'd never have believed it, Captain. Two days from the fort almost to Lance Creek, and they're still ahead of us. I underestimated that woman. She's tougher than I thought. She sure must be. Captain. Yep. And they've seen us. They've stopped. Ho! Miss Wintner? How do you do, Captain? She gave me an awful lot of money, Captain. More than I'd ever seen in one piece. Yeah, that's what I figured. You're not going to stop me now, Captain. Mr. Hazen says the graves are just over that ridge there. Miss Wintner, we're going to turn around right here and head back to the fort as fast as we can make it. Do you have any idea of the danger... Captain... Up there on the hill. Yeah, I see. Right in circle. Signaling. Why, that's an Indian. It is, Mrs. Wintner. Oh. Captain, what are you going to do? Might as well go on up to Lance Creek. Do what the lady came to do. This is it. Right over there. This one. Just this? That's it. You sure? His insignia will be inside the rocks. It's so quiet here. So peaceful. Right now it is. Get a spade, Jenkins. Yes, sir. Miss Wintner, you sure you want to go through with this? What do you mean, Captain? Why, it wasn't time for a proper burial. I see. Did they do anything to him? Cheyenne always do. You may proceed. All right, Jenkins. Miss Wintner, why don't you wait over there? Captain Quince, I'm not a schoolgirl. I came this far. I can stand to watch. All right. Pete. Pete, who was this? That there was Sergeant Tackerberry, Captain. One with a red mustache, Captain. A laugh you could hear clean across the river. Yeah, I remember. And that one there was Lieutenant Williams. Yeah. Captain, is that the Lieutenant Williams my husband used to speak about in his letters? I expect so. They were friends. All these men were his friends. 
men who lived with him, fought with him, died with him. He, he wasn't alone, Miss Wintner. They're all buried here where they fell. I see. Mr. Jenkins. Ma'am? Stop digging for a moment. Captain, you don't want me to do this. Why? I... I... I don't think your husband would care about being buried in Arlington Cemetery. Why? Tell me, Captain Quince. You knew him. What was he like out here? Like any other man, not very different. But he liked it. Like the country, the men, like the job. He was willing to die here if necessary. Are you trying to say that he came here to get away? That he didn't want to go back home? That he didn't care about me? He never talked about you, Miss Wintner. Captain, all I want to do is take him back. Back to a hero's grave. He's in a hero's grave. Nothing you or I can do will add to that. You think I'm a selfish woman. I was thinking only of myself. Of my pride. Only you can answer that, Miss Winter. On the ridge, Captain. <laughs> yeah, they didn't waste any time. Must have been a hunting party close. They're coming down. Oh, must be 30 at least. Doesn't give us much chance, Captain. Oh. It's important to keep calm, Miss Wintner. Very important right now. What have I done? Bringing you men here to this. We may be able to get out of it yet. Talbot, keep those horses under control. When they get a whiff of those Indian ponies. Mrs. Wentner, what are you doing? If anything's going to happen, I want his grave just the way it was. Jenkins, help her. Yes, sir. Sergeant Gorse. Yes, sir. Watch her. Stay right behind her. If the Indians attack you, you know what to do. Yes, sir. Don't miss. I won't. What do you think, Hazen? Can't tell yet. They're still bunched. Ain't hurrying. But they ain't gonna be friendly. No, we're uninvited guests. Can't expect much. They're down and stringing out. And stopping. Right across the only way out. Well, they won't come any closer to the graves. Cheyenne custom. Respect for the dead. Even the dead they killed. We're safe as long as we stay right here. How long can we stay, Pete? Captain, we might try cutting up over the ridge. Oh, the minute we break and run, we're finished. Uh, I'll go out to him. Might as well all go, Captain. There'll be no defending ourselves anyways. All right. Miss Wentner? Looks all right now, doesn't it, Captain? Yes, it does. Well, ma'am? Don't worry, I'll be fine. Good. Now, everybody will move slowly forward, leading your horses. Move easily. Don't show any fear or excitement. It's Little Bear, Captain. At least he can talk some. Won't have to use sign. That's right, Captain. I'll do the talking, Hazen. Sure. Greetings to Little Bear. White soldier, give promise. Stay off Cheyenne hunting ground. Why you come? We come in peace, not war. We don't want trouble with the Cheyenne. They don't want trouble with us. 
Treaties say you stay out. I know that... I made them come. The white lady came to find the grave of her husband. A warrior killed in battle here. She wants to take his body back to his home, to Washington. What warrior? The little captain. The captain with the yellow hair. Yeah. That one great warrior. Captain. These are the Indians. That's right, ma'am. Little Bear. The Cheyenne had great warriors killed here, too. But the Cheyenne could take their dead away to their proper burial place. Will Little Bear allow us to take this warrior with us? And leave the hunting ground in peace? Better leave spirit of dead in peace. In Washington, there is a place to bury great warriors with much honor. She will take him there. Better leave dead buried. All right, Captain. We'll leave him. He's right. I know that now. Philip is better off here. In his hero's grave. All right, ma'am. Will... Little Bear, allow us to leave the hunting grounds in peace. Go. Thank you, Little Bear. All right. Everybody mount up. Easy. We'll move out now, before he changes his mind. Sergeant Gorse, how does it look behind? They're turning away. I figure it's all right. And we'll keep the horses at walk just the same for a while. Yes, sir. Captain. Thank you. What for, Mrs. Wintner? It was probably your presence that saved us and what you said. No. I mean, for teaching me a lesson. Uh, not me, Mrs. Wintner. Let's say this country out here. It can teach you a lot of lessons. Maybe, maybe I was wrong about something, too. What? Oh, just something I said about people not changing. Just, just something I said. You know, we keep moving. We might be able to make the Daggett Social Saturday night. Laramie is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and stars Raymond Burr as Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry, with Vic Perrin as Sergeant Gorse. The script was specially written for Fort Laramie by John Dunkel, with sound patterns by Bill James and Ray Kemper. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Featured in the cast were Virginia Gregg, Jack Moyles, Harry Bartell, Jack Crucian, Helen Klebe, Joseph Cranston, and James Nusser. Company tension. Dismiss. <laughs>
A great show from 66 years ago, February 26, 1956, Fort Laramie here on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Visit my webpage, classicradio.stream. That's classicradio.stream, where you can stream our shows. You can learn more on Classic Radio Collecting and contact me, classicradio.stream. Our shows are also available anywhere you can find, like the iPod uh, iPod. Uh, programs uh, uh what is it apple podcast google podcast also uh, through iheart radio spotify just search for classic radio theater with wyatt cox please thank this radio station support their advertisers and tell your friends the great radio shows are right here at this spot on the dial classic radio theater with wyatt cox on your favorite radio station The greatest radio shows of all time. Suspense. The Shadow Node. Washington calling David Harding, counter-spy. Classic Radio Theater. The Great Gildersleeve. Fibber McGee and Molly. Dragnet. Gunsmoke. The Lone Ranger. Now step back into our time machine with your host, Wyatt Cox. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. Comedy this hour as we go back to February 26, 1946, an episode of the Red Skeleton Show. And yes, it was sponsored by Raleigh Cigarettes. I tried to remove most of the Raleigh references as we're supposed to do, but you may still encounter one or two. For that, I'm sorry. Let's go to Red Skeleton, shall we? It's a pleasure to bring you Metro Golden Mayor's popular comedian and the star of the program, Red Skeleton. Thank you very much. Al Skelton's back and Marjorie Maine got him, you know. <laughs> Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> How are things tonight with you, Rod? Oh, I'm really in the green tonight, Red. I went out to Santa Anita today. Oh, good old Santa Anita. The annex to the Bank of America. <laughs> Did you take Mr. Raleigh to the races with you, Red? No, he hasn't been feeling so well. He's getting that California spring fever. What's that? That's double pneumonia that's approved by the Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> Well, truthfully, Red, the weather has been wonderful out here the last week. Oh, hasn't it, though? I was over in the park this afternoon. It was so hot, the little squirrels were sitting around with their fur coats unbuttoned. <laughs> the sponsor's brother gave me that joke. <laughs> Tomorrow, he'll be back on the road selling Raleigh's again. Well, say, speaking of Raleigh's, did Mr. Raleigh go back to Kentucky? Well, not exactly. We, we went out of the airport, but they couldn't find seating space for him on a plane. What happened? Raleigh's back in Skelton, Johnny. <laughs> well, I heard about you talking to Mr. Raleigh, taking him to the fights the other night huh? at the American Legion Stadium. Oh, boy, and did I see a knockout. Boy, what a knockout. <laughs> Too bad her husband was with her. <laughs> Mr. Raleigh really enjoyed the fights, and we had good seats. I was sitting between two fat ladies. <laughs> Were they really fat? Fat? I felt like a Florida grapefruit between two California oranges. <laughs> hey, Anita, did you enjoy the fight? Oh, yes, Red, but what was that thing that fell out of the fighter's mouth when he got hit in the jaw? That was his mouthpiece. Gee, nowadays, some lawyers will work any place to make a dollar. <laughs> You're proud of that, aren't you, Red? 
<laughs> You're setting television back ten years, right? <laughs> Say, Anita, do you like prize fights? Mm, yes, I thought the fights were exciting. You know, I used to be a fighter. Really? Mm -hmm. Were you like Jim Corbett, stand up and box, or like Dempsey, just slug it out? No, I was more like reconversion. Somebody was always holding me up. <laughs> Did they ever carry you out on a stretcher? No, I had silver handles sewed onto my shorts. <laughs> Did you know that I used to be a fighter? I mean, uh, did you know I used to be a fighter? <laughs> Boy, you'd never know the way you're wrestling with that line. <laughs> you were a fighter, David. What did they call you? Uh, Battleship Forester. Battleship Forester, huh? <laughs> yep, they gave me that name because I always had to be convoy to a neutral corner. <laughs> I think I'll loan you out to Jack Kirkwood. Well, were you ever convoyed to neutral corner, Red? No, I had a bird dog that used to point it out. Well, truthfully, Red, you don't look healthy enough to be a fighter. Well, I'm in good shape considering I was very puny when I was a baby. You know, when I was born, I was so puny they were going to drown me. Why didn't they? They were ashamed to be seen carrying me down to the river. <laughs> Is life a tough one? I'll say it is. When he's in training, there's no, <laughs> there's no wine, no women, or no jukebox. Well, what does he do for entertainment? He breaks training. <laughs> and if Rod will break in here now, I'm sure he has something of great importance to say. Well, thank you, Red. February 26, 1946, The Red Skeleton Show on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Now the conclusion of the Red Skeleton Show, February 26, 1946. Tonight, the story from the Skeleton Scrapbook of Satire is entitled Telephone. Our characters are fictional. If there's any similarity to persons living, they're imposters. Chapter 88 of Telephones is entitled I Want a Telephone. This is the story of Willie Lump Lump and the trouble he had to go through to get a phone. Hey, where's the guy who gives out the telephone? <laughs> service, service. May I help you, sir? Ah, shut up. I want a telephone. Have you entered your application? Yeah, I entered my application real early. You'll find my name right after Alexander Graham Bell. <laughs> Have you ever had a telephone before? Yeah, and I got bills to prove it here. If you want a telephone, you'll have to pay this old bill, and then I'll put your name on the waiting list. Well, I'm a veteran. Does that make any difference? <laughs> yes. Yes, if you're a veteran, yeah. I can put your name on the preferred waiting list. Yeah, you're talking. How many are ahead of me, huh? Well, let's see. There were three veterans' applications this morning. Only three? Yes. Mm -hmm. That makes your number 89,643. <laughs> Look, I want a phone while I'm still young enough to hear who's talking. It most certainly is. What do you do for a living? I play the races. I'm sorry, Alan. I'm sorry, but that doesn't qualify for immediate installation of a phone. Due to the extra load on our present facilities and the shortage of new equipment, emergency certificates get first attention. A doctor's certificate that proves a person is 100% incapacitated might help. Windy old birdie. <laughs> 
Because it's incapacitated stuff, what's that? Incapacitated means that you're in such bad health you may need medical attention at any time of the day or night. Well, the shape I'm in, that ought to be easy. Look, I go pick up a wife and go and see my doctor, huh? <laughs> Hurry, Willie. Maybe we can get to the doctor's office before he closes yeah? today. <laughs> oh, look, Willie, there's a parking place. Yeah, there's a guy backing into it. I'm going to beat him to it. <laughs> Willie, don't try it. We'll have a wreck. Oh, no, we won't. What's this, Willie? They ought to take away your learner's permit. They'll give us a ticket for parking here. Oh, I don't see no red fire plugs, and I don't see no red zones. But, Willie, people don't park on the sidewalk. Well, there ain't no sign that says that I can't, either. Come on, let's go and see the doc about getting a telephone. Now, when you get into the doctor's office, look sick. So he'll give you a certificate for a telephone. Okay, give me a kiss, will you? Why, Willie? You said you wanted me to look sick, will you? Excuse me, I'm Miss Duzik, the nurse. Do you have an appointment? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, but if you want to go anywhere, I'll break it. Willie, aren't you forgetting where you are? No, I just forgot where you were. Uh, if you'll come this way, you can see the doctor now. Thank you, Lynn. She's pretty. Come in, come in, Mr. Lomplomp. Uh, Dr. Dowd, howdy doody, howdy do. <laughs> Sit down, please. Say, what happened to you? Your clothes look terrible. Yeah, my wife left them lay on the floor last night. <laughs> well, wouldn't she pick them up? She couldn't. I was in them. <laughs> now, uh, Mr. Lomplomp, precisely what did you want to see me about? Well, I want to see about a certificate, a uh, piece of paper for an emergency phone. Uh, I'm a sick man. I am. So sick. The life insurance salesman took back his calendar this morning. <laughs> well, why do you feel sick? What seems to be the trouble? I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Well, if you can't breathe, how do you stay alive? Oh. I just don't think about it. Last time you came to see me, I told you to drink eight glasses of water that, a day. That's what I've been doing. You've just been drinking water? Yeah. Or oh, might spike it with a little something to kill the thing. I'm sorry, Willie, but I can't give you a certificate for a phone. Well, how can I carry on my business without a phone? You don't need one to carry on your business. Oh, yes, I do. Every week I got to call up the Social Security and see if my unemployment check is ready. <laughs> Willie, why don't you go home and sleep it off? Because I ain't tired of it yet. Now, look, I'm busy. Go on, get out of here. Look, i got to have a phone. My head keeps ringing all the time. I'm always trying to take my ears off the hook and answer them. I'm going to take your head off the hook if you don't get out of here. All right, you will help me get a phone. I'm going to take this one off your desk. Now, Willie, stop that. Yeah, now I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, you're not going to get through this door, Willie. I'll uh, go through the window with it. Uh. Don't be silly. It's a three-story drop. I know what I'm doing. You still know what you're doing? Yeah, but I'm doing it with a broken neck now. <laughs> Sit 
Chapter 89 of Telephones is entitled, The New Telephone. After waiting a year and a half for a telephone, it really, you really appreciate it when it's finally installed. It makes you so happy that you forget all your troubles. Even Junior, the mean widow can. Junior! If I tell you, you won't like her. Junior, if you don't tell me where you are, I'll come after you. I know you won't, kiddo. Eyes up on top of the garage roof. <laughs> Please come down off the roof. You might fall on the driveway and crack the cement. Yeah. <laughs> well, you sure does love me, don't you, huh? I have some candy for you. Oh, no. You ain't tricking me, kiddo. Oh. <laughs> All right, you stay up there. The man's finally coming to install our new telephone, and I want you out of the way. No, I'll be right down, kiddo. I will slide down the roof into my sandbox. Junior, be careful. <laughs> you might tear your trousers. <laughs> what trousers? <laughs> and your good play suit, too. No, okay, kiddo. Where's my candy? Where's no, my candy? Junior, I have here a hairbrush and a piece of candy. Which do you think you deserve? Well, there's no doubt about it, Grandma. I deserve the hairbrush. You ought to beat me within an inch of me like climbing up there and taking chances like that. Spare no pain, boy. Just see, I know it will wear you out, but go ahead. I want you to just beat me up. 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 Well, now you know how I feel, so just give me the candy. That's enough. Now you get into that house. Okay. Hey, who did you say was coming? The man to install our telephone. Oh. And if you'll behave, I'll give you a cupcake. When? If you're good, you'll get it for dessert. The big winner or the winner win? That all depends on how good you are. Crumbs again. <laughs> Boy, you sure is happy one today, Grandma. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes? Getting a phone these days is just like a blessed event. Really? Hey, Grandma, was I a blessed event? <laughs> No, you were a dirty trick. I like that. The neighbors are applauding it. Don't talk so loud. The neighbors are listening. Was you surprised when I was arrived? Was the folks surprised? Was my mommy surprised? Yes. She was expecting a child. Yes. Sometimes when you talk to me like that, I feel like running away with little orphan nanny. Nobody loves me. Oh. I'm just a poor little orchid. Don't cry. I don't want it anywhere. I'm not. Don't you? Don't you cry. I'm gonna cry. Poor baby. You're just a poor baby. Would he like? Would he like fifteen cents to get a soda? No. He would like sixteen cents to the tax, you know. <laughs> He's trying to trick me into something. Yeah, he's trying to trick you into something. No, no. I knew I would carry this too far somehow. There's the telephone man. I will go, I will go. We are going to get a telephone. We are going to get a telephone. Welcome to the house of horrors, Dracula. Are you the man from the telephone company? Yes, I am. Yeah, I, my, my name's Junior. Well, uh, Junior, <laughs> I think you're a nice little fellow. I think you've got a lot to learn. Well, hello. Hello. We, we've been expecting you. Yeah, for nearly two years. Yeah, you were just scared as butter, you know. Uh, you've had a telephone in here before, I understand. Yes, the box is right over there. Good. I'll have to open the box to check the wires. <laughs> 
It's full of marbles. Somebody's been in this box. Yeah, there must be pack rats around here. <laughs> pack rats, them little rats with packs on their back. Now, Junior, Junior, don't you pester the phone man. No, I... Oh, he's not bothering me. <laughs> I have a little boy just like him. Yeah? What reform school is he in? <laughs> Remember, Junior, you behave yourself. Mm -hmm. You know why we lost our phone before, don't you? No. You were always cutting the cord with my scissors. No. Oh, you were much younger then. You wouldn't do anything like that now, would you, Junior? I should say not. (laughs) Cutting cords with scissors. (laughs) That was because I was such a little child, you know. (laughs) I got bigger ideas now. Well... Just watch your step, young man. I'm going into the kitchen to prepare dinner. And, Junior, yeah? don't forget, I've got the hairbrush with me. I know, kiddo. You wouldn't look like your natural self without that thing in your mitts, you know. <laughs> oh, she's a sweetie. She is. I get on her nose, but she is a sweetie. Oh, I love that grandma. You know, women sure cause a lot of trouble. Uh, she causes blisters. <laughs> Say, you know, you're a smart little fella. What are you going to be when you grow up? Probably hung. Hey, what you doing now? What you doing? Uh, you just watch me closely, and yeah. I'll show you how I install the telephone. Oh. Hey, when you kneel down like that, and you feed out in the back like that, and you can't see what's going... Did anybody ever give you a hot point? <laughs> no, indeed, Sonny. The guy doesn't live that would try doing that to me. <laughs> he talk like a stranger in town, don't you? <laughs> Uh, you wouldn't think of giving me a hot foot, would you, Junior? No, uh, I'd do it without thinking. <laughs> oh, uh, hand me that hammer over there. The hammer? Yes, give it to me, give it to me. Okay, you asked for it. Oh! Did, 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 did you do that on purpose? It slipped out of my hand. <laughs> that lump on your cocoa there. Look at that cocoa, oh, ain't that a dandy? You like to match it up on the other side there? <laughs> it slipped, believe me, the hammer slipped. I well, uh... All right, I believe you. You do? Yes, we all make mistakes. Not like I do. <laughs> well, there we are. Yeah. Telephone's all connected. Well, what do you think of it? I don't think it's going to last long, truthfully. <laughs> now, I'm going outside and check the wires. I know you'll uh, keep your hands off it while I'm gone. <laughs> I might crisscross the wires a little, you know. Oh, now, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> you just keep laughing, kiddo. That's... <laughs> Wait till you call up somebody and the guy who answers turns out to be you. <laughs> You'll find out, Kiddo. Well, I'll trust you. Yeah. Oh, boy, here I is with a phone. <laughs> I shouldn't mess with it. And then again, I should. Let's learn to talk on him, you know. Then again, I don't know why I waste me time. I'm going to do it anyhow. <laughs> Oh, boy, boy, I'm going to have fun with this thing. I'm going to call up the fire department and the police department. Oh, boy, what possibility? What possibility? <laughs> I wonder if this thing works yet. I'm going to test it. Hello? 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 Sound like somebody snoring on the other end. <laughs> Maybe there's a bee in it. Maybe there's a bee in it. Get out of there, baby. Bud, 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 bud. Come on, get out of there. I'm making think I'm a police. Come on, get out of there. I'm going to get you out of there before that man comes back. Boy, he'll be proud of me. Now, let's see. Where's the screwdriver and his hammer? I'm going to take this thing apart here. Get out of there, will you, Come on, bite, bite, get out of there. Boy, it's putting up a great fight, isn't it? i got to eat more Wheaties. i got to Everything ship shape, as we say in the Navy. I think it's snafus, we say in the Cub Scout. 
What's going on in here? Good heavens, what's that mess on the floor? I'll give you three guesses. The telephone. Give that lady a box of milk and <laughs> This is Red Skelton saying goodbye now and thanks for listening. Last week was Brotherhood Week. Why not make every week? Brown and Williamson invite you to other good listening throughout the week. Here are the Raleigh Room starring Hildegard tomorrow night and people are funny with Art Linkletter Friday night. And return with Red Skelton next Tuesday. Red Skelton is heard in this program to the courtesy of Metro Golden Mayor. Such a delightfully funny man. I'm going to try to get some more episodes of the Red Skelton show because his characters were such such wonderful things. And uh, over the years, uh, they developed more. You know, he couldn't really do Junior in the later years, but uh, uh, the uh, Hobo and uh, Willie Lump Lump and... Uh, uh, they they were just and of course Gertrude and Heathcliff the Thuthy Gold, uh, Red Skelton from February 26, 1946 here on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. We're going to move up ten years when we continue after our break for your favorite station to February 26, 1956, an episode of Gunsmoke which is entitled "Who Lives by the Sword." John Daner playing a very important role in this show. And we'll hear Gunsmoke when Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox continues after these words for your favorite radio station. Now on Classic Radio Theater, we head out west, February 26, 1956. An episode of Gunsmoke starring William Conrad. Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of Gunsmoke. Starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. enough to buy one more drink, Miss Kitty. You shouldn't spend all your money on me, mister. Mister? <laughs> well, listen to that. What? Ain't nobody called me mister in my whole life. <laughs> How old are you, Billy? Twenty-one. Uh-huh. Oh, it's true. Well, anyway, you're old enough to be called mister. <laughs> Golly, you, you sure make a man feel good, Miss Kitty. Thank you, Billy. But you pick up that money now. 
We've had enough to drink for one night. Oh, a couple of beers. Save it for breakfast, Billy. You'll be glad I made you. Now you ain't treating me like a man, Miss Kitty. <laughs> There's no reason why she should, kid. Kitty, huh? You won't have no trouble treating me like a man, Kitty. Beat it, stranger. What are you horning in here for? Go on home to bed, kid. Let's you and me sit down somewhere, Kitty. Talk it over a little. You wouldn't feel at home, stranger. Huh? There's no hogwaller for you to sit in around here. People don't talk to Joe Delk like that. Then Joe Delk had better go back to wherever it is he's got people afraid of him. Not here, mister. Not in Dodge. Don't be afraid of me in Dodge. You just don't know I'm here yet. <laughs> well, why don't you go let him know and leave us alone? She's asking you, mister. I'm telling him. You heard her. I'll take care of you in a minute, kitty. As soon as I get this little blowfly off my neck. Yeah. This your money, kid? You leave that alone. Go on, go pick it up before you get into real trouble. I'll kill you for that. No, Ooh. Billy, he's a gunman. Can't you tell? I don't care what he is. You killed him. He was only a kid. I wouldn't care if he was a grown man. He didn't have a chance against a professional like you. Nobody I've ever met has. But now people begin to know Joe Delk's in town. I never heard of Joe Delk. Well, maybe not, mister, but you've seen what he can do. I didn't see it. Matt, that poor kid. I don't even know his last name. What happened, Kitty? I'll tell you what happened, mister. He got to crowd me, same as you're doing right now. This is Marshal Dillon you're talking to. Oh, Marshal Dillon. Well, I don't mind eating the Marshal now and then. Did he murder the boy, Kitty? No, he didn't, Matt. Kid do first. Yeah. Must have been easy for you, Delk. Real easy, Marshal. It was kind of fun. Fun? Killing that nice boy. Fun. Yeah, taking my time that way. What are you doing? Give me my gun. You're not going to be needing a gun, Delk. Expected that, did he? No gunman would, Kitty. But he's sure never gonna forget it. February 26, 1956, Gunsmoke on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Now on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, the conclusion of Gunsmoke, February 26, 1956. Chester. I let Delk out of his cage. He ain't none too spry this morning. What do you expect me to do, you holding a shotgun on me? How you feeling, Delk? Outside of your pride being hurt, I mean. You know what I think of a man who fights with his hands, Marshal? 
I don't care what you think about anything. He's a coward. That's what he is. It took you by surprise, didn't it? Of course it did. And I hurt you, too, didn't it, Doc? Hurt you pretty bad. You wouldn't want to go through that again, would you? No. No, I wouldn't. Because I'd kick you half to death next time. Now, what are you doing in Dodge, anyway? Come in on the Santa Fe. I said, what are you doing Look, here? Marshal, just because I had to shoot a man in self-defense. Boy. He had a gun, didn't he? Against you, he might as well have had a stick. It was still self-defense. There. There's your gun belt. You turning me loose? Put it on. Okay. reach you from here with my fists, Doc. My. That was an awful chance you took, Mr. Dillon. I mean, you might have had to shoot him. I was pretty sure he wouldn't draw, Chester. Well, why? The beating I gave him last night. That takes the vinegar out of a man like Doc. Kind of scares him. You mean that's why he just walked out of here? And it could be one reason. One reason? Yeah, maybe he's got something in mind. Like what? Like finding me when I'm not ready for him. They're putting himself behind a shotgun. They're shooting me in the back. Doc never got hurt that way before. It rattled him some. But he's not through. Not yet. <laughs> Borrow your spoon to stir my coffee, Mike? Oh, sure, Kitty. Yes. Here you are. You'd think this restaurant could afford more than one spoon to two customers. <laughs> well, if they did, they couldn't afford the quality beef they serve. <laughs> then I won't complain. I'd hate to think of eating any lower off one of those animals. <laughs> you know something, Kitty? Huh? Before long, some bright fellow's going to get the idea of raising cattle in one small area where they can live peaceful and grow fat and juicy. Sounds like a great idea, Matt. Why don't you start it? No, I got a job. Well, sure, I forgot. After all, a job with a future like yours. Oh, no, I I can see your gravestone. He didn't die rich, but he sure died stubborn. (laughs) I like that. I think I'll use it. You won't be there. Well, maybe you'll take care of it for me, huh? Having dinner with you is real pleasurable, Matt. Oh, thank you, Kitty. Don't mention it. Mr. Dillon. Hello, Miss Kitty. Sit down, Chester. Have some coffee with us. We ain't got time, Miss Kitty. Doc's gonna be waiting outside any minute. Doc? He wants you to go to the Dodge house with him, Mr. Dillon. Oh, what for? To see Joe Delk. Don't tell me somebody's finally shot that ape. No, it ain't that. He was over the Texas Trail drinking all day yesterday. He sent word to Doc he's sober now, but he's got the shakes and needs something to fix him up. Wolf poison might help. Oh, why does Doc want me along, Chester? Maybe he don't trust old Delk. Anyway, he says he won't go see him alone. Yeah, well, maybe he's right. I never heard of a gunman fool enough to drink so much he got the shakes, man. No, neither did I, Kitty. Maybe it ain't even true, Mr. Dillon. Maybe he's got something fancy in mind, like you said. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Wait down here, Chester. Yes, sir. 
What'd the clerk say, man? Uh, top of the stairs, the fifth room on the left. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he's recovered by now. No? What do you mean? Yeah, it's been two or three hours since you sent for me. I didn't think he'd hurt him to live with his misery a while. Yeah, if there was anything wrong with him at all. No, I heard he'd been drinking yesterday. Jim Buck said he saw him over there. Man can make a show of drinking and still be sober, Doc. Yeah, if he's got a reason, you mean. Yeah. Shh, wait a minute. This is the room. Wait a minute. Listen. Somebody's in there with her. No, it's just Doc. No, no. Get away. Don't hit me. Get away. Stop. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Matt, it's locked. It's not out of the way, Doc. Don't hit me, Marshal. Don't hit me. Why, he's asleep, Matt. He's dreaming. Yeah. Hey, Doc. Doc. Come on, wake up. Doc, come on. Marshal, what are you doing here? Who's he? Well, I'm Doc Adams. Uh, You're awake now, Doc. You were having a nightmare. Yeah. I was dreaming. Where you been? I sent for you hours ago. What'd you bring the marshal for? What in the world's going on here, Mr. Jones? It's all right, Chester. Doc got a little mixed up. He started seeing things. Yeah, he's dreaming. A man like you can't afford to dream like that, Doc. He can't afford to get as jumpy as you are. Doc, uh, give me something. Uh, give me something to take. Yes, all right. I've got some pills here somewhere. I can just find them now. Yes, but these pills won't do you as much good as about a gallon of coffee, Well, What are you staring at me for, Marshal? Just taking a last look, Doc. What do you mean? Two hours from now, I don't want you anywhere near Dodge. I ain't done nothing. You're all through, Doc. Your gun's no use to you anymore. You're afraid. I had a bad dream. That don't mean nothing. You got two hours, Doc. Go get killed someplace else. I don't want to watch it. even be in here, Mr. Dillon. Oh, why not, Chester? Well, I'm broke. Well, the beer's on me. Oh, well, now, I surely do thank you, Mr. Dillon. I'm plum grateful. I truly am plum grateful to you. <laughs> I only figured on buying you one, Chester. Oh. Mr. Dillon? Yeah. I see him. Ali's still got an hour. Who that fellow he's talking to? Uh, some drifter, I guess. I'll uh, buy you a drink, mister. No, I ain't drinking no more. I only come in for one. I said I'd buy you a drink. Uh, sorry, stranger. One, all I can take. I had my drinking yesterday. I don't like it much when a man's downright unfriendly. Well, some other time, mister. I could take it. Do you think you're too good to drink with me? Well, that ain't what I'm saying, I told you why. You'll uh, drink with me? No. No, I can't. All right. 
You're wearing a gun. No. What you doing? All right, hold it, mister. Marshal, step back, Delk. What are you interfering for? You ever hear of Joe Delk? What's he got to do with this? You were about to fight him. Joe Delk? <laughs> nah. That couldn't be him. Oh, why not? Delk wouldn't take that kind of talk. He'd have killed me right off. Now, you're just lucky, mister. You really Joe Delk, mister? I am. Look, I didn't mean nothing. I, I didn't know. I gotta be going anyway. Well, Delk? Uh, it ain't two hours, Marshal. I said I didn't want to watch you get killed here. You go find yourself a horse. I'll be at my office for 30 minutes, then I'm going to come looking for you. Thirty minutes is up, Mister Dillon. Yeah. You reckon he's left? I hope so, Chester. I feel kind of sorry for him. Do you? It's him. It is. Take it easy, Marshal. I ain't looking for trouble. I. I want to talk to you. All right, talk. You seen it? That fellow over at the saloon. Yeah, what about him? I backed down, Marshal. I was afraid of him. Don't you understand that? He was no gunman. Of course he wouldn't. Something's wrong with me, Marshal. Ever since that beating you gave me. What did you want to say to me about, Doc? You've got to help me. Help you? I'm, I'm going to... I take my gun off. I'm through gunfighting, but you gotta protect me. You gotta do it, Marshal. I'm sorry, Doc. There's nothing I can do. No, I'll get killed. There's men all over looking to kill me. You should have thought about that a long time. Well, let me let me stay here, Marshal. You tell everybody to leave me alone. I'll die if you don't. Doc, let me ask you something. How many men have you killed in your time? I don't know a lot of them. What difference is How many like that boy you shot down the other night? You're against me. You ain't gonna help me. No, I'm not gonna help you. Because you're a killer, Doc. You're nothing but a murderer. All right. I'll go. I don't know where, but I'll go. Wait a minute, Doc. You ever hear that saying about how a man who lives by the sword dies by the sword? Yeah. I heard that somewhere. Well, it's true, you know. I guess it's going to be true for me. Yeah. You know something, Marshal? I can't think of no reason why someday he ain't going to be true for you.
star, William Conrad. Chesterfield packs more pleasure because Chesterfield's more perfectly packed. Chesterfield, made by exclusive Accuray, packs more pleasure because it's more perfectly packed. Unlocks all the pleasure of fine tobacco. Chesterfield packs more pleasure because Chesterfield's more perfectly packed. Firm and pleasing to the lips, Chesterfield, mild, yet they satisfy the most. You know, people on the frontier look down on a buffalo skinner. They referred to him as a stinker, and they avoided him. But next week, one of these outcasts wins the respect of the whole of Dodge. And that was the West. Good night. Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Sam Edwards, and Clayton Post. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. February 26, 1956, Gunsmoke. And, you know, we talk about William Conrad all the time, but we got to give props here to John Daner for that role in Gunsmoke. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Classic Radio Theater here. Please visit my webpage, classicradio.stream. That is classicradio.stream, where you can stream our shows on demand, learn more about classic radio collecting, and contact me, classicradio.stream. If you miss a day, you do not have to miss a single show. Our shows are all available just by going to iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and search for Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Please thank this radio station. Drop McCarter a letter if you're so inclined. They would certainly appreciate it. And support their advertisers. But most importantly, tell your friends. The great radio shows are right here at this spot on the dial. Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox on your favorite radio station. The greatest radio shows of all time. Suspense. The Shadow Node. Washington calling David Harding, counter spy. Classic radio theater. The Great Gildersleeve. Fibber McGee and Molly. Dragnet. Gunsmoke. The Lone Ranger. Now step back into our time machine with your host, Wyatt Cox. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We have aired recently a number of the uh, quarter-hour episodes of Fibber, McGee, and Molly. We haven't done a full half-hour show, so that's what we'll do this hour, an episode of Fibber, McGee, and Molly. This one goes all the way back to February 26, 1946, and yes, you'll hear Harlow Wilcox doing a Johnson's Wax commercial. Uh, This episode is entitled The Missing Fountain Pen. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, B. Benaderet, Arthur Q. Bryan, and they call me Harlow Wilcox. 
The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, and the music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. Valentine's Day has come and gone. Lincoln and Washington have had their birthdays. In fact, it might as well be spring. Which is about the time the Squire of Wistful Vista starts writing his Christmas thank-you notes, urged on by his conscience, otherwise known as Mrs. McGee. And here about to start the job, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> Now, the first note you ought to write, dearie, is the I one... haven't got to that yet. I've got to write a check first. Whom to? The Elks Club. Five bucks. Heavenly days. Have you ripped the billiard table cloth again? <laughs> nope. The caretaker's got to have appendicitis operation and can't afford it, so all the members are chipping in five bucks apiece. Oh, yeah. well, that's very nice, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, say, is the caretaker that big fat man named Joe? <laughs> yeah, that's the fellow, Charlie. <clears throat> Doc Gamble's going to do the operation. <laughs> I never knew Dr. Gamble to wait till somebody had enough money before he'd operate. Oh, Doc don't care, but the boys at the club say they hate to see a pot open without a few chips on the table. <laughs> now, let me see. Where's my... Uh-oh. What's the matter? Can't find my fountain pen. You see my fountain pen? The one with a solid gold point onto it? No, I haven't, Pat. You had it yesterday, though. My gosh, I'd hate to lose that fountain pen. Fred Nittany gave me that pen. Who? Fred Nittany. <laughs> You've heard me speak of Fred Nittany from Starved Rock, Illinois. He's the guy that I and he used to have a vaudeville act together in vaudeville. Oh, sure, that Fred Nittany. Mm -hmm. Did he give you the pen for Christmas? No, he gave me that pen in 1922. We signed our first contract with that pen. Oh, with the Orpheum Circuit? No, no, just with each other. I, <laughs> I promised I wouldn't sneeze while he was juggling, and he promised not to mug while I was singing Give the Baby a Lacing, Mother. He just threw another shoe. <laughs> that was one of my... Oh, hello, old-timer. Everything's fine, thank you. Yeah, except I seem to have lost a very valuable fountain pen. Lost a what, Johnny? I lost a fountain pen, eh? That's too bad. I'd like to take mine, but I haven't got one. <laughs> well, this pen of mine has got a lot of sentimental value to me, old-timer. My old vaudeville partner give me it. Your old what, Johnny? My old Gee willikers, were you in vaudeville, Johnny? <laughs> so was I. Well, were you really, old-timer? What kind of an act did you have? Magic, daughter. Used to saw a lady in half, but I couldn't stand it very long. Why not? Hey! I says, why couldn't Well, you... sir, every time I'd see my assistant off stage, he'd kind of laugh and say, Who was that lady I sawed with you last night? <laughs> I got so sick of that joke, I give up the act and joined the CB. That was right after Pearl Harper. You mean Pearl Harbor? No, Pearl Harper, daughter. She was the girl I saw it in half. She took on so much weight, it stretched my act ten minutes, saw her in two. I had a song and dance act myself, old-timer. Yeah, the only way I can get my husband to dance even now is to pay him for it. <laughs> That's pretty good, daughter, but that ain't the way I heard it. The way I heard it, one feller says to his doctor, Say, he says, every time I eat strawberries, my skin breaks out. Can you cure me? I don't know, says the doctor. I hate to make any rash promises. Mm. Well, I hope you find your pen, guys. McGee, where'd you use your fountain pen last? I know I had it yesterday when I was making out my income tax. Hey, 
What was I wearing yesterday? Let me see. Your blue serge suit. I was? Yes. Oh, well, my gosh. All I got to do is run upstairs and look in the vest pocket. I no, always... no, McGee. Huh? Your blue serge suit went to the cleaner this morning. What? With my fountain pen in it? Yeah. Didn't you go through the pockets before you sent it? Well, Natch, I always do. <laughs> but I didn't see anything in your fountain pen. May have slipped down through the lining, though. Doggone those cleaners anyway. Deliberately walking out of here with my blue serge suit with my fountain pen in it. That's practically burglary. That's what it is. That's stealing. Oh, for goodness sakes. Now, if they find it, they'll return it. They're very reliable people. Well, they better find it. That's all I got to say. Walking into people's houses like that and practically stealing people's valuable gold-pointed fountain pens that Fred Nittany give them. If that's the way people are running their business nowadays, I'm glad I'm not living a hundred years from now if it gets any worse. (laughs) Now, nonsense, dear. You're making a big fuss about nothing. Uh, You fly off the handle like a 30-cent hammer. (laughs) I'm going to fly down to that cleaning place and make them return my fountain pen. Get your hat and coat, baby. I'll just do that, little thing, McGee. Uh Even if you don't find your fountain pen, the fresh air will cool you off a little. Yeah. Now, you lock up the house whilst I get my... Okay, you betcha. Make it snappy. I'll... <laughs> ah, there goes a good kid. How she ever puts up with these nasty moods of mine, I'll never know. Except that she knows they never last more than a half hour. <laughs> Once a week. <laughs> Usually Tuesdays. But even so, I... Come in. Oh, hello there, Teeny. <laughs> State your business briefly now, sis, because I'm very busy right now. I've got to get downtown. Oh. Well, gee, mister, I didn't come over here because I wanted to. I came because you told me to. What? You told me to come over yesterday, remember? No, I don't. Well, you did, I betcha. What were the circumstances? Well, the circumstances were I saw you in the drugstore, mm. and Mr. Toops was weighing himself, and you got on the scale with him and divided the weight by two so you wouldn't have to pay another penny. <laughs> And I said you were cheating the drugstore man. You said, don't be nosy, and if I came over today, you'd tell me a story. Those were the circus mances. Well, uh, I'm sorry, sis. I haven't got time today. Maybe some other time. Okay. I... Okay, I'll tell. I'll tell everybody. Uh, I'll tell the drugstore man and the newspapers, okay, and I'll okay, tell... Okay, 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 okay. Cut it out. <laughs> I'll tell you a story. Mm, thanks, mister. You're awful nice to little children. <laughs> Okay. I ever tell you about Myrtle the turtle? Oh. <laughs> no. Well, sir, once upon a time there lived a turtle named Myrtle. Mm-hmm. She laid dozens and dozens of eggs, and they all hatched out into little baby turtles, so everybody called her Myrtle the Fertile Turtle. <laughs> One day there was a big earthquake Which threw Myrtle over on her back And when a turtle gets through on its back It's just simply helpless um... Yes, sir <laughs> Well, sir, the baby turtles were too dumb to know what to do They thought Mama was just taking some exercises So they hung around and watched While she kicked her legs this way and that Jerking and twitching and um... She made so much commotion That some turtle hunters saw her And grabbed her and all the young turtles And sold them all to a restaurant And they all wound up as turtle soup and you know what that all goes to prove, sis? Sure I do, I betcha. What? Just because you're upset about something, you don't have to get everybody else in a stew. <laughs> right. From February 26, 1946, Fibber McGee and Molly on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. 
Jim and Marion Jordan had a wonderful career in broadcasting, and sadly, it was uh, Marion Jordan's health issues, and uh, some want to say alcoholism was a problem. I'm not going to even get into that. But we do know she died of cancer really at a fairly young age. Uh, but uh, they were just having a wonderful time. They did a great show. And when they left the half-hour gig and went to the quarter-hour shows five days a week, they recorded them in their own house. They did. They didn't go into a studio. So, you know, it, that's the way to live your life. It's what I do. I record this show in my own house. So, how, you know, you live life on your own terms, I guess, is the story I'm trying to say here. February 26, 1946. Let's get back to Fibber McGee and Molly here on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Come on, Molly. I got the house all locked up. Let's get down to that dry cleaners. I'm going to read them Fountain Pen Steelers the Riot Act. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they'd planned this whole thing. Just waiting for a chance to get my gold-pointed fountain pen. I'll bet you're right, McGee. You bet you. Yes, sir. I'll bet they invested $50,000 in that dry-cleaning plant 19 years ago with the very idea in mind of someday getting a hold of your $5 fountain pen. <laughs> well, that ain't so silly. How about the time I left my wallet and my gray pants with $17 in it? How about that? Well, how about it? They returned it the next day, didn't they? Sure they did. And why? Just to keep me from getting suspicious, that's why. Oh. <laughs> if they're out after fountain pens, they ain't going to money around with mere monkey. I mean, monkey around with mere money. Why, George? If... Looks like we wouldn't be leaving for a minute, McGee. Come in. Hello, Molly. Hello there, Dr. Gamble. Come right in. Thank you. What are you looking so sour about, persimmon puss? <laughs> You'd look sour too, Aerosmith, if somebody had deliberately stole your solid gold-pointed fountain pen that had been given to you by Fred Nittany from Starved Rock. Not really stolen, Doctor. He left it in a suit that went to the cleaner, he thinks. Better be careful of those accusations, chowderhead. Or one of these days you're going to be the surprised possessor of a slander suit with two pairs of pants. <laughs> Incidentally, who's Fred Nittany? If anybody Why, Fred Nittany's his old vaudeville partner, doctor He gave McGee the fountain pen years ago Vaudeville? Were you in vaudeville, McGee? I used to go to the theater every week When I was a young man going to medical school I don't remember seeing you So what? I don't remember seeing you either <laughs> Well, the 15-cent seats were usually so far back <laughs> Oh, I almost forgot, McGee Forgot what, Captain Happy? <laughs> Are you coming to the board meeting at the Elks tonight? Only 10 or 12 left. I can't make it, Doc. I'm sorry. You take six for me, will you? I'll pay you later. Okay. Good night, Molly. Night. Good night. Take six of what for you, McGee? What kind of a board meeting is it? Punch board. Oh. <laughs> hey, we got to get down to the dry cleaners, Molly. Every minute we waste is more time for them burglars to hide the evidence. Come on, let's go. Bye, George. Now, just a minute, McGee. Are you sure you left it in that suit? Have you looked around the house thoroughly? No, and I don't have to. I always carry that pen in that blue serge suit. On account of it leaks a little, and the blue serge suit don't show it. And furthermore... Hello, folks. I just thought I'd drop... Oh, you going out? Down to the dry cleaners, Mr. Wilcox. They have a suit of McGee's in which he thinks he left a valuable to nobody but him fountain pen. The intrinsic value is of no import. <laughs> it's the sentimental value, Junior. <laughs> My old vaudeville partner, Fred Nittany, from Starved Rock, Illinois, gave me that pen. He thinks more of his pen than the government does of Alcatraz, Mr. Wilcox. Well, <laughs> you know how sentimental all these old vaudevillians are, Molly. I was an actor once, and I know. What do you mean, once? 
You're so hammy right now, you use mustard-flavored shaving cream. Oh. <laughs> oh, McGee. Well, he's right, Molly. I still have a kind of a yen to go back on the stage. You know, I always wanted to do Romeo. Do Juliet a favor, Buster, and lay off. <laughs> You're getting a little broad across the pistol pockets for tights. <laughs> I don't know about that, McGee. I think Mr. Wilcox would be a very handsome Romeo. <laughs> Do you know the part, Mr. Wilcox? Oh, sure. As a matter of fact, I just wrote it out for a little entertainment they're putting on tomorrow night for the Johnson Wax salesman. Uh, here, see? Oh. Look, Junie, anytime you write Shakespeare for them guys, the stage is going to be hip deep in Johnson's wax. <laughs> Enter Lady Macbeth, lower left, with a roll top desk. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Oh, but McGee, this looks awfully good. Read it, Mr. Wilcox. Okay, I'll be Romeo. You read Juliet's part. Oh, my gosh. This is going to set Orson Welles back 20 years. <laughs> you be quiet now, McGee. Go ahead, Mr. Wilcox. Act two, scene two. Capulet's garden. Enter Romeo. On a high-wheel bicycle. Hush, dearie. Enter Romeo. He jests at scars that never felt a wound. Juliet appears above at window. With shotgun. <laughs> but soft... What light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Ah, me. She speaks. <laughs> what dost thou, fair Juliet? I dust John living room, my Romeo. <laughs> my father, the Capulet, would have a prideful home, so Johnson's wax protects his, his worldly goods, and I no slave to household task. Make light of labor, thus so neatly foiled. Ain't this awful, folks? <laughs> ah, sweet Juliet, a goodly spouse you'll make. To know that dust and dirt cling not to wax-protected things. That's Capulet. <laughs> Would that our love could be as well preserved. It can, my Romeo, and gleam as brightly as a Johnson-polished home. This very balcony from which I speak, its wood is shielded from the elements by wax. It... Where's the rest of this, Romeo? Or Mr. Wilcox? Well, that's all I had time to do. I'm going to finish it this evening. How do you like it? If you're asking me, Waxy, I'll settle for Olson and Johnson. <laughs> Your Shakespeare's as phony as a six-bit and a rinse. <laughs> I thought it was wonderful, Mr. Wilcox. Have you got to go now? Yeah. Uh, I'll see you later, folks. Whence goest thou, Romeo? Homeo. Oh. <laughs> My goodness, isn't he talented, McGee? I think he has a great flair for the theater. Yeah. If he had any bigger flair, our fire insurance wouldn't be worth a nickel. Hey, what time is it? It's almost half past. Oh, my gosh, we gotta get going, Molly. Them dry cleaners might be closed up and skipping town by this time. Doggone it, we never will get out of here at this rate. I think there's a power watching over you, dearie, mm -hmm. trying to keep you from making a dunce of yourself. Come in. Oh, good afternoon, Mrs. Carstairs. Do come in. How do you do, my dear? I see you have your coat on. Am I detaining you? We're just going down to the dry cleaners, Karsty. They stole my fountain pen. Oh, now, wait a minute, McGee. That's a serious charge to make, you know. If it was the Wistful Vista dry cleaners, Mr. McGee, I must say I have always found them extremely meticulous. Aha, uh -huh. you hear that, Molly? Even Karsty says they're meticulous. I knew it. I had a feeling Meticulous, the... dearie, meticulous means careful. Huh? Oh, it does? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you meant, Karsty? Yes, Mr. McGee. Oh, 
Mr. Carstairs has left jewelry in his pockets many, many times, mm-hmm. and the cleaners have always returned it immediately. Uh, he's so absent-minded, you know. Is he really, Millicent? Oh, yes, indeed, my dear. Why, just last night, as we were coming home in a taxi cab from a rather gay party, he leaned over to me and said, Remember now, not a word of this to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> What did you say, Kirsty? Oh, I said, of course not, dear. But you better get out a block or two from the house. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> oh, it must be a little disturbing to be married to a man like him, Millicent. Oh, he's quite harmless, Mrs. McGee. One can't dislike a beagle merely because he thinks he's a wolf. <laughs> oh, which reminds me, my dear, will you go to the dog show with me Friday afternoon? Sure she will, Kirsty, and so will I. You, uh... How nice. I just love dog shows, Millicent. Is your dog in the show? Oh, yes, she is, and I hope she goes through with it this year. Why? What happened last year, Karsty? At the last minute, she scratched herself. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> I do hope you find your pen, Mr. McGee. Good day. cleaning place, McGee? Next block, Oak Street, near 14th. Can you see those green lamps in the middle of the block there? Yes, what's that? Police station. If these fountain pen thieves don't pony over my gold-pointed fountain pen immediately or sooner, I'm going to swear out a warrant. Hold it, hold it, McGee. Here comes Mr. Wimple. Huh? Who? Oh, oh, hi, Wimp, old man. Hello, folks. (laughs) Out for a little walk, Mr. Wimple? Yes, I'm just seeking inspiration, Mrs. McGee. I find that Walking helps me think. Inspiration for what, Wimp? Poetry, Mr. McGee. Oh. I have an order for some greeting cards, and I have to write them tonight. I think I have a good one for Mother's Day. Oh, I'd love to hear it, Mr. Wimple. How does it go? It goes, Mama, dear Mama, this is your day. So drop your work, come out and play. Hear the children sing good wishes. Then go back and do the dishes. That's more truth than poetry, Wimp. (laughs) Not that it's much of either one. (laughs) Have you any others, Mr. Wimple? Well, I was working on one for a friend that's sick in the hospital. Sort of a sympathy card. Oh, I bet this one will have them in stitches. (laughs) Read it, Wimp. It goes, to a friend who is sick. I'm sorry you are sick, my friend. I'm sorry you are ill. In a place where they wake you up at four... To give you a sleeping pill. I hope you have a lovely nurse to help when fever starts to boil you. And if you have, move over, kid, because I'll be right down there to join you. <laughs> well, I'll see you later, folks. Fibber and Molly were great, but boy, did they have such wonderful supporting cast members along the way. February 26, 1946, Fibber McGee and Molly. The conclusion, along with another episode of Claudia, will be coming up next here on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. But first, these important words for your favorite station. Now on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, the conclusion of Fibber, McGee, and Molly, February 26th, 1946. 
here's the dry cleaning place, Molly. Now, you let me do the talking. I know better than to try and stop you, dearie. But now be reasonable. What do you mean, be reasonable? With guys that deliberately stole my fountain pen? Come on. Yes, sir? What can I do for you, sir? You picked up a blue serge suit at my house this morning, bud. Yes? And my husband thinks he left his fountain pen in it. I know darn well I left my fountain pen in it. I always have my pen in that blue serge suit. Now, look, Buster, I want that fountain pen back, or by George... Oh, now, just a moment, sir. Give us a chance to investigate. I can tell you immediately if your pen has been found. What was the name, please? Parker. Your address, Mrs. Parker? The name is McGee, bud. Oh, well, uh, which of you is making the complaint? Mr. McGee or Mrs. Parker? I, I am Mrs. McGee. The pen's name was Parker. <laughs> it was a solid, gold-pointed, kind of greenish pen that was given to me by a Fred Nittany from Starved Rock, Illinois. Old partner of mine in vaudeville. Hmm, actors. Do you have an address? 79 Whistle Vista. Oh, yes, I remember. You've been our customers for many years. Of course, that would be, uh, Driver Cryobean Route 3. Oh, Miss Fregelhorn. Yes, Mr. Houghton-Trout. Was there a fountain pen in a suit from 79 Wistful Vista, Route 3? No, Mr. Houghton-Trout. Two papers and matches, some pool chalk, a nail file, a rabbit's foot, and a ticket stub for the World Series of 1932. <laughs> They're in the mail. Uh, thank you, Miss Fregelhorn. No, I'm sorry, Mr. McGee, but... But you ain't half as sorry as you're gonna be. Why, George, when a man trusts a business institution like this, to be honest, and then has him walk out with a solid gold-pointed fountain pen that was given to him by Fred Nittany... Now, wait a minute, McGee. I'm sure, Mr. McGee. You're sure? You ain't as sure as I am, Buster. I'll bet you got that whole back room there stacked to the ceiling with stolen fountain pens. <laughs> Deliberately walking into people's homes and taking suits full of fountain pens. That's larceny, bud. And by Georgia... May I ask one question, Mr. McGee? Certainly, Mr. Houghton Trout. <laughs> and make it snappy, bud. One question. What is it? How would you like a good poke in the nose? Oh. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Not only a burglar, but a tough guy, eh? <laughs> Come out from behind that counter, Buster, and I'll fix you up a knuckle sandwich. Nobody can talk oh, to me no, like no, that. Oh, no, 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 no. Stop it, both of you. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Houghton Trout, what is the procedure when somebody thinks you have something and you think you have it? The proper procedure is to make out a claim blank. Well, give us one, please. Certainly. Here you are. I don't want to make out a claim. I want to bust this fresh guy right in the beezer. Fill it out, dearie. <laughs> well, okay. Where's a pencil? Uh, they have to be filled out in ink, Mr. McGee. Here, use my pen. I don't want any favors from you, Cy. I'll use my own pen. Now then. <laughs> Name and address. Describe the lost article. Approximate value. McGee? Huh? Where'd you get that pen you're using? This pen? Well, this was given to me by Fred Nittany from Starved Rock and... <laughs> Well, imagine that, writing this code all the time. Go on, apologize to Mr. Houghton Trout, dearie. Sure. I'm sorry, Houghton Trout, old man. Quite all right, Mr. McGee. Shall I tear up the claim blank? Oh, no, I might as well finish it out. Bound to lose this pen sometime. Now <laughs> <laughs> then, state circumstances on the hook article. Oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> to see 
on, McGee. Yeah. Just sitting here exercising my rights as an American citizen. My old mandolin. I'm a one-man music union. Meaning what? I mean, nobody can interfere with my lawful right to peacefully pick it. Oh, dear. Good night. Good night, Al. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. Peacefully Picket, February 26, 1946, Spimmer McGee and Molly on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Now on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, an episode of the soap opera Claudia, February 26, 1948, brought to you by... Your Coca-Cola Bottler presents Claudia. <laughs> Claudia, based on the play and novels by Rose Franken. Brought to you, transcribed Monday through Friday, by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. And now, Claudia. David, you're not gone yet. Where are you? David, are you still here? Darling, you haven't left. Darling? What is it? What's up? Oh, I thought you'd gone to the office. Why, anything the matter? No, except I was lonesome already. You deserve a scolding. I do? Why? Because I'm lonesome for you? Can't help it. No, that's not it. What else have I done? You don't trust me at all. I don't? Since when? You have absolutely no faith in me whatsoever. Not a bit. Why? Do you think that I'd leave this house in the morning and go to the office without saying goodbye to you? Yes. You're right. I would. You would? You never have. I haven't? Well, remind me to someday. I won't. (laughs) Mrs. Norton, do you know that you're a particularly beautiful girl this morning? Girl? I'm almost a mother. This is one of the longest almosts I've ever heard about. It's less than five months now and a little bit more than four to go. You make it sound so complicated. But you'd never know, would you? You'd never know what? That I'm going to have a baby. I know. Mama knows, Bertha knows, Fritz knows, Roger knows, Reggie and... I know they all know, but they know because they do. I met the man on the street. The man on the street what? He doesn't know. Well, I should hope not. I mean, you couldn't tell just by looking at me, could you? Oh, no. Of course not. Really, no modern science is marvelous. Here I am, practically about to be a mother, and the man on the street doesn't know. (laughs) At least not from looking at me. (laughs) Darling, it's not modern science. It's your imagination. What is? Skip it. I can't wait for the end of June to creep up on us. Well, nine o'clock is creeping up faster. I better be getting underway. We've been married over six months, darling, and it gets more wonderful all the time. Just think by the time we're 60, it'll be so wonderful, I'll just bust. Well, that's something to look forward to. It is. Will you call me? When? When you're 60 and bust? (laughs) You know what I mean. (laughs) Darling, what's gotten into you this morning? First, you think I... Left the house without saying goodbye, and then you think I'm going to spend the whole day without calling you. And I've never committed either one of those crimes. Something's got into me. 
except I love you. Will you call? I will not. I don't blame you. I wouldn't call such a forward girl as me either. I've got some nerve asking you, haven't I? You have. Will you call? I won't. David, you're joking. I'm not. All right, then don't. See if I care. I'll see if you care. Now, goodbye. 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 Is that all I get? What have you done to deserve more? Nothing. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mm, it's wonderful being a wife. I wouldn't be anything else. Goodbye. Claudia, isn't there anybody who sells the Simmons nearer to where we live? Nobody. Just because David called you six times today and because you love him and he loves the Simmons, I have to tramp all the way over to First Avenue and heaven knows what street in order to get them for it. Any objections? Not one. I think it's wonderful. Mama. What now? How do I look? You look fine. Why? Is that all? Just fine? You prefer to look some other way? No, but I mean, you don't notice anything about me. Claudia, what are you talking about? Nothing. If you don't notice, that's all I wanted to know. As a matter of fact, I've never seen you look so well. Having a baby seems to agree with you. You think it's having a baby that makes me look well? I think it's a very good reason, don't you? Well, I don't know. David says I don't look any different at all. David's very sweet. I don't feel a bit different. No reason why you should. And yes. I don't intend to until I'm practically in the hospital. Well, nobody can say your attitude isn't an optimistic one. Well, here we are, Mama. Here's the fruit store. Tiny. Practically only a window. Good morning, good morning. What can I do for you today? For Simmons, two. Ah, two for 25 and ripe. You can eat them tonight. Oh, they are wonderful and soft and gushy. They'll be delicious. I give you three for 25. Three? Oh, but there's only two of us. Mama doesn't like them. I give you three. One for your husband, one for you, and uh, one for the baby. For the baby? For the little baby that will come. With my compliments for good happiness, I get you the best. But, but, the baby? Mama, how did he know? I didn't tell him. Neither did I, and David said I... Mama, how do I look? Tell me. You're going to have a baby in four or five months. You look very well. Oh, then I do look... Do what? Well, then it does make a difference. It's bound to. It should. I never thought it did. David hasn't said... And I didn't notice. It's all right. It's as it should be. Here you are. Three. You will be beautiful. Come again soon. We will, and thank you very much. Claudia, what's the matter? Nothing. Come on, what's eating you? Mom, I just realized the baby will make a difference. Of course it will. It'll make a very big difference. In every way. I'm starting to look different. I'm starting to feel different. Just think I'm not going to be only David's wife anymore. I'm going to be his children's mother, too. What did you expect to be, their aunt? It'll change things between David and me, won't it? In a way... But I don't want them changed. I want them just the way they are. I like them this way. You like your cake and you like to eat it too. I know you. Mama, is it awful? But I... I'm a little scared. I think that's the nicest part of it. I don't. 
This morning it was just the two of us, David and me. It was wonderful. But now, since even the fruit man knows about the baby, it's not the two of us anymore, and it's sort of different. I wonder if David will mind. Darling, anything the matter tonight? No, why should anything be the matter? Well, you've been so quiet. Hardly said a word since dinner. Haven't I? I hadn't noticed. Well, I have. These less verbal moments of yours are quite an occasion. Good or bad? Oh, terrible. I, <laughs> I prefer you nice and talkative, even if you don't say anything. Just you. Just the way you are. What way am I, David? Oh, not very bright, not very beautiful, not very quiet. But very just the way I want you. That's nice. Aren't you feeling well, Claudia? I'm feeling fine. Why shouldn't I feel fine? For no reason... Except I, I... I just want to be sure. David, why didn't you tell me? Tell you what? Nothing. Come over here. Why? Sit on my lap. Oh, darling, you don't have to. I, I'm too heavy to sit on your lap. Oh, since when? Just since... Must be since today. Last night you didn't think you were too heavy. Last night I didn't think. Well, you don't have to feel so bad about it. You don't usually. Now, come on. Come on, sit down here on my lap. Now... What is it? Why didn't I tell you what? That I'm going to have a baby. That you're what? Remember, you told me, and this has been going on for months. And... I didn't mean it that way. I meant that... Why didn't you tell me that it's changed me? Well, well, has it? David, of course it has. You don't have to pretend. The little Greek man who sold me the persimmons, he knew. <laughs> well, he's not blind, is he? I have changed. It does show. David, you never told me. Well, darling, if you must know the truth, I haven't noticed. I'm so used to looking at you that I don't even look at you anymore. In a way. I don't know if I mind that or not. All I do know is, David, is it going to make any difference to you? Of course not. What? My being a mother and not just your wife. Well, I don't quite understand. Should it make a difference? Well, it might won't be just the two of us anymore, and I won't look like me for a while. And there'll be lots of other sorts of changes, too. Claudia, darling, is it going to make you feel different towards me? Me towards you? Mm -hmm. Oh, David, I'll still hate to see you go to the office in the morning. I'll still want you to call me up ten times a day. I'll still... But it'll be different, no matter what we say. Of course. You know, Claudia... I've been thinking the, the same sort of things. What sort of things? Well, if it's going to make you feel any different toward me. No, that's absurd. Well, is it? When you start thinking about it now, taking care of the baby will take a lot of your time. We won't be as free as we are now, and you'll have someone else to look after and love as much as you love me. Perhaps more. Never more. It might make a, a great deal of difference. I won't let it, David. You'll have to let it. And, and I want you to let it. We both will. <laughs> At least I think we both will. I guess that as long as it's both of us, 
willing it together, then it's all right. Sure, it's all right. Anything that's both of us, darling, is wonderful. It's the best. Funny. This morning I knew I was having a baby. I knew it. But I never thought about it. Or thought about how it might change you and me. I didn't think anybody else could tell. Now, tonight. Now I know. Everybody can know. And it makes all the difference in the world. What kind of a difference? A, a good difference? What do you think? Oh, David, he's going to grow up to be tall and strong and just like you. And no matter how much I love him, I'm sure it'll make me just love you more. Me too. You know what I've been thinking all day long? What, darling? I wish, I wish that we would hurry up and have him. Oh, hurry up. I'm hurrying up all I can. <laughs> oh, darling, it's months and months and months yet. Oh, David, why does it have to take such an awfully long time? This broadcast of Claudia was supervised and directed by William Brown Maloney. unexpected company drops in, you heave a sigh of relief if you know there's plenty of Coca-Cola in the house. It's mighty sensible to keep a good supply of Coke on ice now that there's plenty to go round again. For nothing spells hospitality as surely as delicious ice-cold Coca-Cola. And nothing could be easier on your pocketbook and your energies. Every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you, transcribed, with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again tomorrow at the same time. And now this is Joe King saying au revoir. And remember, whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For ice-cold Coca-Cola makes any pause, the pause that refreshes. Listening to that makes me want to go into the kitchen and get myself a Dr. Pepper. What? Well, yeah, it was Coke, but you know. Anyway, uh, going back to December, uh, February 26, 1948, Claudia on Classic Radio Theater. Visit my webpage, classicradio.stream. That is classicradio.stream, where you can stream our shows on demand, learn more about classic radio collecting, and you can contact me there, Classic Radio. Dot stream. Don't forget, if you miss a day, you do not have to miss a single show. All of our shows are available on demand through iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and more. Just search for Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Classic Radio Theater 
with Wyatt Cox. Please thank this radio station. Send them a card or a letter if you would, please. Support their advertisers and tell all your friends the great radio shows are right here at this spot on the dial. Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox here on your favorite radio station. (laughs) 